Hello and welcome to the Trapping Today podcast. I'm your host Jeremiah from trappingtoday.com. This is episode four. So thanks for being here and tuning in. Um, Initially I thought uh, I was going to have a hard time filling the time in a podcast and finding enough things to talk about and that is absolutely the opposite of what it seems to be turning out. Um, There's so much to talk about. Uh, so many things in the trapping world that we can go over. So um, I'm just going to go through a bunch of stuff in tonight's episode and hope that uh, provides some value for you. So um, I want to start out by just telling you just a quick uh, little plug for trappingtoday.com. That's my website blog. Started about 10 years ago. I provide information for trappers about trapping. It's, uh, you know, a variety of news stories, articles, um, the fur prices, just different things that are going on in the trapping world. So if you're not a subscriber, get on there, trappingtoday.com, click on the join the trapper email list, and you'll get a weekly update on anything that's been published to the site in the past week. Uh, secondly, I'd like to give a little shout out to the sponsors of Trapping Today. So I don't have a sponsor for the podcast, uh, just starting out and I haven't sought any sponsors. And I actually never sought sponsorship for Trapping Today. Um, and this year I had a couple of trapping supply companies, uh, a couple of guys approached me about advertising. And uh, we were able to to work things out, and it's been really, really good so far, really good experience for me. I hope it's provided value for them. Uh, if you're a follower of Trapping Today um, and you don't know, um, if, if you see those couple of advertisements there, um, you're going to see, you may see some Google ads, which are random. It depends on, based on what your search history is. That's just a little ad sense. That basically pays the, pays the way for all the bandwidth and everything on the site. Um, but you're going to see a couple of other ads. Uh, one is from Cotts Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z. That's uh, from Kyle and Kellen Cotts out of Illinois. They run a trap supply company there. Um, they're really, really great guys to deal with. Uh, Kyle contacted me. He was the first uh, trapping sponsor on the site. And uh, he he was looking to increase their online presence. They've updated, put up a brand new website, got a really nice catalog. And they're doing a lot of cool stuff. So they're guys that are, you know, they're about my age. They're in their 30s, and they're really knowledgeable. And and it's kind of funny because, you know, you talk about um, you got to have gray hair to be a good trapper. Well, in a lot of cases, that's, that is true. However, um, these, these guys have been trapping since they were kids. Um, so they've been, been trapping more and spent more time on the trap line than a lot of people that are twice their age. So uh, they're they're really experienced despite their youth, and they are very energetic and excited uh, to grow in in the trapping supply comp- trapping supply industry. So check out Cots Brothers. Um, they do have they had a promotion going. Um, it's still valid right now as you listen to this. Uh, if you do order from them, you can hit uh, code TT five. And uh, that code will give you five bucks off um, of your first $50 order. So basically, if you're looking for something and you want to try them out, um, you get a $5 discount. And uh, it helps helps trapping today. It helps those guys get new customers and it helps you save a little money. Um, I can say when I started um, and I talked to Kyle and we worked something out, uh, I, 
I told him I, I really wanted to, to make sure, you know, we talked on the phone and got to know each other a little bit. And I really wanted to make sure that I d- did business with them, um, before really going out and plugging their products. Um, so he sent me an advertising check and, and I told him I was going to spend a hundred percent of that first check, uh, uh, ordering stuff through them. And uh, I've actually gone, I've ordered, Oh, I've ordered six or seven times through those guys since then, and uh, it's been just excellent, excellent customer service. Uh, Kellen, Kyle's brother, uh, he packs all the orders, um, at least in my experience, and uh, he's a a really good lure maker, by the way, too. Uh, They sell a lot of great lure making ingredients and a lot of knowledge there, and I have had absolutely no issues with anything I've ordered. I had just about everything is it's shipped the first business day uh after i i put in my order it's it's been like clockwork it's been amazing um had one situation where i bought i was buying a bunch of fish oil for um a trailing scent for martin fisher trapping and i bought uh i bought a bunch of quarts of fish oil and i was actually just one it was a little extra to buy the quart a little more cost to buy the quart as opposed to buying the half gallon. Um, but I actually wanted a few of the extra bottles so I could, you know, just grab it in the truck and squirt it and do my thing and not have to worry about refilling from the half gallon into squirt bottles. Um, so I ordered like that and, uh, and Kellen saw that I could have saved money on the half gallon and he, he actually gave me an extra half gallon of, uh, of fish oil. So that was, that was pretty amazing, pretty impressive. And uh, then the big thing was um, when my first shed burned down, that was a big deal um, on Thanksgiving. Uh, if you've listened to an earlier podcast, you've heard all about that. And I was pretty devastated, and I pretty much lost everything except the traps that were out in the field. I lost all my lure-making supplies, um, just just complete complete loss. And uh, I I uh, I posted something up on trapping today, just talking about you know guys watch it, watch your wood stoves and be careful. You know here's what happened to my fur shed, and uh, he uh, he saw that Kyle or Kellen saw that, and a few days later I get a huge box in the mail. Um, it was a whole pile of supplies, things that they looked back and saw what I had ordered previously and figured what I probably lost and they and they sent me a huge box of stuff it was no charge it was just amazing um, so those are really good guys great guys to deal with and I hope that you'll consider supporting them like I said there's no sponsors on this podcast um, but uh, but I really appreciate what they've done on on the website on trappingtoday.com and uh, so I wanted to put in a plug for them um, and the other one is John Chagnon from PCS Outdoors uh, PCSoutdoors.com. They also sell a bunch of stuff, uh, their supplies on uh, on eBay and on Amazon. Uh, so they're they're pretty easy to find. John is from uh, Michigan, and uh, PCS is is pretty interesting. At one of these days, I'll I'll uh, I'll go into a little more history on on their company. Um, but he's a really nice guy, um, really neat to talk to, really enthusiastic about trapping and uh, John uh, asked about advertising we were able to find a slot for both PCS Outdoors and Lennon Lures so if you're not familiar with Lennon Lures uh, that is a pretty legendary name in the lure making business uh, from Michigan it's Herb 
Herb Lennon's company that he started up way back in the, I believe it was in the 1930s, and uh, that was carried on in the family, and John was close friends with uh, Asa Lennon, Herb's son. Um, Asa was getting old and wanted to to turn over the business, and John John, uh, took over the business from him, so... Um, PCS, Lennon Lures, check those guys out. Uh, be sure to support them and and, uh, and order from them. They have a huge, uh, huge um, selection of, of trapping supplies at PCS Outdoors. So anyway, that's enough of uh, sponsors. Uh, let's talk a few different topics tonight. Um, fur Harvester's Auction. So as you listen to this, uh, We'll have, probably have more information from that auction tonight as I'm recording. The fur harvester sale took place yesterday, uh, the 9th of January. That was the first sale. There's not a lot of new fur on it. There was a lot of holdover fur and some specialty items. Uh, but that that sale, um, I'm just kind of seeing, hearing some rumors about how that sale turned out. Uh, there are no uh, results published yet. So I think my initial thought is so they had the auction it was kind of a rough auction they they did okay on some items a lot of stuff didn't sell and they're probably making deals at private private treaty sale right now so if you're not familiar with that private treaty is basically just a um, a one-on-one sale at the end of an auction uh, if there's still items that buyers are interested in they can buy them at a set price that fur harvesters determines is is a good market price so uh, I'm guessing that they're doing private treaty deals right now and that is part of the reason why we're not seeing the results published um, but you'll you'll know more by the time you listen to this just get on there for harvesters.com and there the averages and the results will probably be published with a little write-up and usually they all the auction companies both the auction companies try to spin things um, we did a great you know, at a great sale despite the rough market. Um, but for the most part, we're, we're looking at the same as before. Um, I think I heard from a few people. One guy in Ontario had did a pretty good $18 average on beaver, but most of the beaver probably going to average around $12, $13, which is what they were in the NAFA July sale. Uh, there was some good interest on the unique and rare items like wolf uh, and wolverine, especially those items that were, um, uh, or arctic fox and stuff that was skinned out special for taxidermy. Um, there was quite a bit of demand for that. A few really high quality raccoons sold well. Um, no interest in muskrats in this sale at all. Um, so those will probably get held over. Um, unless they can find some in private treaty. And uh, I think a few Martin sold uh, pretty good prices, but most of the Martin are being held for the next sale. Um, I actually shipped out my Martin and Fisher to uh, for Harvester's guy uh, today, and uh, those are set to go in the auction in March in Helsinki, and hopefully things will be... A little better in that sale we'll have to see how the market shapes up between now and then but there are buyers that are looking uh, you know local country fur buyers are looking at how what they're gonna pay and you know this sale it's not gonna tell a whole lot necessarily so have heard some good things uh, from muskrats a uh, little better prices on some rats in certain places I know grown worlds 
buying rats and, and paying better than a little better than last year it seems so that's FHA um, the other stuff I'm here in the in the new fur shed right now and uh, been cleaning up some old traps if you guys are anything like me when you pull your traps you pull your trap line it's everything's kind of rushed and you're just trying to get through them all and get them in the truck and it all turns into a big jumbled mess of trap and wire these are all body grip traps with Connie pans on them and so everything's tangled up trap wire pin triggers everything so <laughs> just kind of trying to sort out that mess and get them sorted out with the 120s and the 160s and whatever 110s I had in there and and just kind of pulling everything together organizing it a little bit so that next year I'll be able to, this summer I'll be able to just pull them out of the box and uh, put it put them in the dip in the cold dip um, hang them out and be just about ready to go things will be a little better organized that's one of my biggest goals in this new fur shed is to keep things more organized I think you can be a lot more efficient uh, if you're not rummaging around searching for things all the time so um, we'll see if that how that pans out <laughs> um, had the day off today from work and I went out with a local young man and we set uh, some under ice beaver traps uh, actually we set mostly snares and uh, he set a 330 um, but anyway that was pretty good had a, a guy that was having beaver problems I wasn't able to get to him this fall and uh, so I told him I'd try to get back to back to him and it's the worst time of year to to be trapping beavers uh, there's over three feet of snow on the ground with no crust whatsoever and uh, the the snowshoeing was a little bit rough today with pack baskets and and uh, going quite a quite a distance through the snow but anyway we went into this area and I'd never seen it never been there before uh, no scouting so it always makes it more difficult um, we went he told us where he had seen the beavers and and uh, where to go and we found the flowage and of course we get to the first spot and the dam was out hadn't been repaired there was an old house with no nothing fresh on it and pretty much high and dry uh, abandoned beaver lodge so uh, we moved up to the next one and it was kind of interesting because the next house uh, the dam looked like it looked like a more recent fresher dam there were some fresh cuttings but the water was about two feet two to three feet below normal it was like the dam had blown out and it wasn't holding back water and so we walked around we walked over to the house the house had fresh sticks on it looked good finally well basically we come around the corner to where we could get a good view of the house and you could see where the run was coming out of the house and they they have been traveling it for sure so uh, we got over there and and I had an aluminum shovel and I was able to break through the ice with the shovel in that run so it was a wide run probably oh two and a half to three feet wide I guess at the widest um, and there was some depth to it uh, you get you know over near the dam there was there was little to no depth at all but but in that run it was deep and we couldn't find any sign of a feed bed of course there's two couple feet of snow on top of the ice um, but once we we broke through a little further out from the house in that run um, we could tell we were right on the edge of the feed bed 
So it's pretty simple um, set. Uh, we'll go into detail later on this this winter on uh, different under ice snaring methods. But basically, my my snaring is I set two snares. He set a snare. Well, two snare poles. He set a pole and a 330. Um, but my snare poles are are the the Jerry Braley method. So Jerry is a legendary beaver trapper uh, from Central Maine. And he has a certain way of doing things that um, he and other very experienced trappers have caught thousands and thousands of beaver on under the ice. So it's basically a, a dead pole with a couple of, oh, probably eight or eight, ten inch long popple sticks, a little bigger than the size of your thumb, nailed to each side of the pole. And two loops, one on each side of the pole. Uh, right at those popple sticks, those loops are about the size of your open outstretched hand uh, in on the inside diameter. Uh, we're using 16th inch 7x7 seven seven wire or cable. Uh, that is that cable, of course, if you're familiar with snaring, I'm, I'm not a snare guy because it's not legal in Maine except for under ice beaver snaring. Uh, so we can't do we can't set any snares on land. So so we're pretty limited in what we can do. Uh, so all my experience with snaring has been under the ice, and uh, the wire sags a little bit. You got to watch that, uh, especially when you're putting the your pole set down into in through this the slush and a little bit of ice on the surface. It was about 20 degrees, 15, 20 degrees today, so that it was skimming over a little bit. Um, and the wire that doesn't hold a perfectly round loop, it, it, it's an oval shape. Now Jerry says that's that's good because as the beaver circle in the pole, he's gonna uh, he he's gonna be kind of sideways going around that pole, and uh, it that loop fits pretty well the shape of his body. Uh, the 16th inch cable, uh, they like it because you get a lot of extremity catches, so. Uh, a lot of foot catches, uh, tail catches, because the cable is able to cinch down pretty easily. It's not very stiff. So anyway, um, and and mine have cam locks on them. Uh, there's some people use Sherlock's. There's a number of different locks that you can use. Uh, so we set those. Uh, it was pretty good. Uh, young feller that was with me. Um, he's a he's he is going to turn out to be a really good trapper if he keeps at it. He's been he's He's one, the only person I've ever met that that learned how to trap on the internet. <laughs> so it just goes to show how much uh, things have changed. Um, he basically, you know, going on Trapper Man, reading everything, reading the online forums, websites, uh, watching videos, and uh, asking questions. A lot of really helpful people all around. He just didn't have any any trappers around growing up to teach him. So he's really enthusiastic about it. Uh, he's in college, so it's uh, pretty busy for him. You know, just on he's on vacation right now, so he had a chance to go out and make some sets. And we get to talking, and said, "Well, geez, why don't we why don't we set a few together?" So um, it's fun. It was fun trapping with somebody else, and uh, we'll see how we do. But uh, but yeah, it's good. It's good. So a few other things that I want to get into. There are a number of topics that we've covered on trapping today recently and uh, just wanted to go over a few of them. One of them is an, a shout out to uh, 
live free and trap so if you're not familiar with that live free and trap is a trapping blog um, it's probably one of the only other ones out there uh, besides trapping today uh, the guy Jeff Trainer um, is the guy that writes that and he's from he's a trapper from New Hampshire and if you're familiar with New Hampshire their motto is the live, live free or die state so live free and trap is a really uh, well-suited motto for a site I think um, he is a, a very 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 good writer uh, very skilled um, it's it's really easy to read the his articles and he's very thoughtful um, passionate about trapping and passionate about promoting trapping as an important wildlife management tool so so it's really encouraging I'm glad to see Jeff um, you know publishing posts on that he also has an Instagram uh, account that I follow he posts posts some different pictures on there um, not he's not always posting on live free and trap it's kind of uh, periodic uh, but when you see something up there um, it's usually pretty good so he I recently linked to a post that he did quite a while ago and it was called um, it was the I think it was called the great debate on trapping bait <laughs> so uh, and basically he discussed uh, different views and opinions on the importance of of bait and trapping uh, how it works how bait is effective what bait needs to do to be effective um, just a few bullet points here um, that I pulled from his his pretty long article he basically looked at a wildlife society study uh, that showed, uh, looked, I think it was skunk and raccoons and their reaction to different types of bait. He says, number one, bait needs to generate interest in, in the, the fur bear. Number two, it needs to motivate. So, so it needs to get them to take action. So they have to want to enter the set, um, do something um, as a reaction to that bait. So obviously it has to be pretty edible. Um, or, or motivate them in some form or another. Number three, uh, bait should be selective. And what that is, is referring to is uh, species selectivity. For instance, if you're coyote trapping and you're using uh, chunks of fish, you may be more likely to catch raccoons than if you used um, a, a a different type of like a fr like fresh beaver meat or something so uh, a number there's just a, n a number of different um, reasons that well the other thing is if if you're raccoon trapping um, and you don't for some reason want to catch coyotes I don't know why you you wouldn't want to um, you might use something sweet like marshmallows or candy or something that you know coons are attracted to but coyotes may not necessarily enter a set to uh, to investigate um, so that's be selective and number four uh, bait has to provide enough reward to an animal to justify the risk that they're taking at the set so a lot of times you know why would an animal go over and investigate a set or or be any interested in your bait um, so if there's if there's enough value enough draw there in the bait that maybe uh, the bait has enough scent appeal it may be uh, the bait is big enough if you have uh, you know a little piece of bait the size of a 
a marble, uh, maybe that's not going to get animals not going to see that as a, a reward for digging deep into a dirt hole um, to pull that out and they may they may smell it and dig a little bit and decide that oh, this isn't worth it but if you had a uh, a bunch of ground beef twice the size of your fist then that provides a lot more reward and that animal is willing to work more so uh, those were just a few points and uh, just just pretty interesting stuff on on trapping bait and different things to think about. A um, couple other things I have posted um, in a really neat website uh, from the University of Montana, and they have this oral history Montana oral history project. Okay. Um, this is something that I just came across randomly on the web and it was it was incredibly interesting to me and it's not very recent so what this is is back in the early 1980s uh, a couple of people from the University of Montana went around and interviewed old-timer trappers and this was old-timers in the 80s I think it was 1980 to 1982, and they conducted 21 different interviews with Montana fur trappers. Um, it was just incredible information. I've only listened to three or four of them so far, um, but you can go on. If you go trapping today and you kind of scroll down the different articles, uh, this one was published on January 9th, and uh, it provides a link there. You click on the link, and it'll take you over to that site. And on that site, you can click on the different interviews all 21 of them and you can listen to them so it's if you're looking at at learning a little bit about the history of trapping and that kind of thing interests you this was like frontier days um, interviews uh, in fact I, I'm looking at it right now Fuller Lagerman is is one of the interviews and, and that guy was a legendary lure maker um, there in eastern Montana um, there's just a whole number of different different guys, uh, and these were some of the old wolfers that you hear about in in the West. Uh, they were they were wolf trappers. They were the guys that the predator trappers that eventually became coyote trappers when they wiped out all the wolves. But they have some incredible stories. Of wolf trapping on horseback. That's what those guys. That's what all those guys did um, in in the frontier West, and and it was just an incredibly different country. And, and really interesting. So I encourage you to take, uh, take a look at that site and give it a listen. I think uh, if you have any interest in, in trapping history, I think you really like that. Um, I have a few others to go over. Uh, there's some that I'm going to skip until uh, the next episode. There's a Clint Locklear lure making a DVD that I watched, and I provide a review for that. Um, I think I'll get into that a little later just in case... Um, we need more time. Uh, there is a article from the Wildlife Ecology Institute. This is a guy, a biologist named Tim Hiller, H-I-L-L-E-R. And he is unique in that he's an avid trapper and a wildlife biologist. And Tim pretty much started up this Wildlife Ecology Institute where he does... Uh, he he does implements research projects on fur bears and and other wildlife species, and uh, and tries to solve important 
uh, problems and answer important questions for wildlife managers. And one of the recent questions that we've all had, and, and wildlife managers and trappers both have had for many years, is why are our muskrat populations declining? Uh, they seem to be declining in all different parts of the range, uh, different habitat types. You know, there there was some there there are a number of different theories, a lot of different things going on, and things that have changed in over the past 30 years, 40 years, as we've seen these muskrat populations decline. Um, but nothing, there's nothing clear cut. No one's been able to figure it out. We know it's not trapping pressure because people aren't trapping for them anymore like they used to back in the in the 70s and 80s. The trapping pressure is way low. Um, just a few ideas that people throw out. Uh, we we have very much higher populations of uh, predatory birds um, that prey on muskrats. So since the DDT ban and since uh, there's been laws protecting a lot of these hawks and uh, owls and other and, and other predatory birds, uh, you know they've they've their populations have done very well. They're very abundant, and so there's a lot more predation on muskrats. The habitat has changed um, with the Clean Water Act in the 70s. Uh, there used to be a lot of sewage and a lot of agricultural waste going into the rivers and streams and swamps. And that, while that was a bad thing for a whole lot of different critters in a lot of the environment, uh, it may have been a good thing for muskrats because it promoted more vegetation growth. And muskrats need vegetation growth for food and cover. So that's kind of interesting to think about. I, I hadn't thought about it before that way, but uh, I posted an article, of, I don't know, a month or two back about the muskrat decline, and one biologist, I think he was in Pennsylvania, he uh, suspected that that cleaner water may have been to blame for the muskrat decline. So not really something you can solve there, but uh, there could be disease has been speculated. Um, there's even some guys saying in Alaska they're seeing declines and, you know, the water quality hasn't changed in most of Alaska. So, uh, I don't know, it might be different reasons for in different places. Um, the, the bottom line is we do not have a handle on it in any way, shape, or form. So, Tim is putting together a research project, a proposal. I think he's got four different states on board right now and the feds and hoping that other states can join in. Uh, he wrote a big, did a big write-up on this whole deal, and I published it on on Trapping Today. Uh, let's let me see what the date is, so you can go look at that as you're listening here. Um, that was that was published on January 10th. As I record this, it was published today. So if you read through that, he gives you kind of an update on, on the problem, what he would like to do to look into it, and how you can help as a trapper. So how you can kind of spread the word and support uh, funding for this research. So that's kind of interesting. Um, anyway, i got a few other things going on. I have a, a lure trapping lure page on Trapping Today now. 
Uh, I just posted that up. I worked on that a bunch this past weekend, and uh, it's on. Uh, it's actually one of the main pages that's published there at the top of the site uh, called Trapping Lure, and that will give you a brief overview of the different lure makers in the trapping industry today. And it kind of starts off with uh, the major big names. Um, I give a little bit of an overview, kind of a broad overview on trapping lures. And then it goes through and just gives a brief description of each of the lure makers and just a little bit about them that you may or may not know. And uh, there's a bunch of links there, uh, Amazon links to uh, to purchase lure. So if you're looking for trapping lure that you're going to buy anyway, you might want to take a look at this page and look at the different lure makers, see what you think might fit you best, and you can click right on the links there um, to uh, to to directly buy those lures. So I hope that helps. Um, there's also I have a bunch listed on there uh, that are noteworthy, but I I haven't done either haven't had the time to do much research on them or uh, or they may be a little less relevant. Uh, so I haven't done a write up on them, but I may add some as we go along so anyway that is what's going on uh, thanks for listening tonight and uh, we've got lots to talk about in future episodes so i'm excited for that and i hope you stay tuned and until next time keep on trapping